Ezekiel 22, 23, and 24 tonight. As we get into chapter 22, Ezekiel has been faithful with his message. Still up to this time, there are the false prophets saying that it's not going to happen. And as I, I read the prophets and I think about them, I realize that they're men uh, that many times just have to stand alone. They are always in the minority. Pick Jeremiah, pick Ezekiel. They have a message from the Lord. It is not popular. It is so repetitive. I mean, basically, when we read up to this point where it finally happens, by the time we get to 25, before we're through with the study tonight, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon is going to be at the front door making his way in. And what that's going to do in a moment's time is dispel all the false prophets, everything that they said that it could never happen. Solomon's temple is in Jerusalem. God's going to allow his temple to be destroyed. It was just unthinkable. And yet this was the word of the Lord over and over again. He's been using parables, stories, skits, plays to try to do everything within his power to get the people to listen up. Uh, Where we left off last week was in chapter 20. The elders actually came to them and they, whether they did it with a sincere heart or the Lord was finally getting through to them, I don't know their motive, but they went to inquire of the Lord to Ezekiel and the Lord basically says, forget about it. Don't inquire of me. And then all of chapter 20 is a list of their sins and the reason that the Lord will not speak to him. And this King Zedekiah that we put up on the screen on Sunday, as you look at chapter 21, um, he's basically telling that the, in verse 21 that the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the road. He's already on his way. He's deciding, he's using definition to decide, do I go to the right or to the left? Well, he's going to end up in Jerusalem. And again, our text from last Sunday was um, remove the crown and take off the crown. This would have been a reference to Zedekiah, the last king of the southern um, two tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and primarily Israel. And he says, overthrown, overthrown. I will make it overthrown. In other words, enough, enough, enough. And there's going to be no king from the line of David. And then we read this great prophecy in verse 27, until, not until, he comes whose right it is and I will give it to him. And of course, I think of Psalm 110 where the Lord said to my Lord, come and sit at my side until I make your enemies your footstool and then you will rule and reign over them. Daniel predicts it. Well, our next book after Ezekiel is Daniel. He gives us a little different perspective as his dreams and visions um, point out exactly the same thing. The stone not cut with hands is going to strike these worldly kingdoms that have come, have gone through world history. And a great mountain will come, and from this mountain, the stone will rule. And uh, it's a reference, of course, Uh, Again, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 20 through 24 should be, they're very long chapters. 22 tonight is uh, uh, not as bad, 31. Um, But 23 is a a long one. Uh, 50 verses again. And 24. But we should be able to get through all of them. But when Stephen... Uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, began to witness. He was the first martyr. Commenting on the prophets, the Old Testaments, one of his accusations to the crowd he was speaking to, and I'm quoting from Acts 7, he says, which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? And uh, they have slain what showed before of the coming of the just one. Jesus even told a parable, uh, the stone which the builders rejected. The builders would have been the religious Pharisees, the false teachers. They rejected him. And um, uh, he says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the, the chief cornerstone. 
And the building, the foundation, we got it out on our cornerstone of our church here. No other foundation can anyone lay except that which is laid, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, the Lord has built his house, and um, um, here as we begin in verse uh, 1 and 2, we actually have, let's pick it up in verse 1, moreover the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, will you judge, will you judge the bloody city? Question. Yes, show her all her abominations. Well, again, this is very repetitive as we go through um, verses now 3 through 16. It's again recounting just how uh, evil uh, Jerusalem has become. Um, somebody was giving an update. I can't remember how when it was, but it w- went through the worst city in the world to the best city in the world. And the worst city in the world, number one, happened to be Tel Aviv in Jerusalem. And I personally know this to be true because we always stay one night when we arrive in Israel. Uh, we're tired. We want to get to our hotel and, and eat and go to sleep and start our day tomorrow. But um, the, 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 the drivers of the truck, wherever we're going, they, they kind of go out the door first, and you can see them kicking things around on the ground. Well, all they are is calling cards with um, call girls' names on it. And no matter what hotel you go to or you walk down any street, that's protocol. And that's, it's basically call girl city, and that's what it's known for. Um, I had a friend, her and her husband, they had a <clears throat> ministry set up because some of these gals, especially that come in from Russia, they have no means. Um, they're taken advantage of right away. It's sad or you don't eat. And um, uh, Tel Aviv is sort of so different from Jerusalem. It is very cosmopolitan. It's different than any other city in, um, uh, in Israel. Um, I don't know another city that's like it. Uh, Jerusalem, on the other hand, we're going to go tonight. And during the time in the book of Revelation, the Lord is going to call Jerusalem, Sodom, and Gomorrah. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself um, there. And I want to go back here because here is where it is more like Sodom and Gomorrah. And they have simply, when we pick it up in verse 3, we'll give an account of uh, basically totally backsliding and becoming as carnal when they're supposed to be the light of the world. Instead of being a light of the world to the people, they've actually joined the people and they're no light at all. So verse 3, thus says the Lord God, the city sheds blood in her own midst that her time may come that she makes idols within herself to defile herself. You have become guilty of the blood which you have shed and have defiled yourself with the idols which you have made. You have caused your days to draw near and have come to the end of your years. This is at the longest um, um, within months and basically he's saying time's up. Therefore, I have made you a reproach to the nations and a mockery to all countries. Those near and those far from you will mock you as infamous and full of uh, tumult. Look, the princes of Israel, each one has used his power to shed blood in you. In you, you have made light of their father and mother, and in your midst, you have oppressed the strangers." And in you have you mistreated the fatherless and the widows. As I, I got up this morning, I thought I'd read it all before I came into the office. And basically, when I, when I went through it, I just came up and said, well, this is, the Lord is saying is good and this is bad. And they, had, they couldn't make the difference, distinction between the good and the bad. It was always bad. And basic things that every person that has a conscience is aware when you're doing right, and you're aware when you're doing wrong. You don't need uh, the Holy Spirit to tell you what's right and what's wrong. You know what's right, and you know what's wrong even before you're born again. So when you want to say amen to that, it's true. I didn't hear one amen. Thank you. You have a conscience. 
Everybody else I'm not sure about. Just kidding. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbath. If you were men who slander to cause bloodshed, in you are all those who eat on the mountains. In your midst they commit lewdness. Now he's going to get a little graphic, and he's even going to get more graphic of their perversion by the time we get to chapter 23. Your men uncover their father's nakedness in that they violate women who are set apart during their impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. We call that adultery. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. And another violates his sister and his father's daughter. We call that incest. Um, In you, they take bribes and shed blood. They take usury and increase You have made profit from your neighbors by extortion and have forgotten me, says the Lord. As I read this, I see the Lord equating um, not only outward manifested sexual perversion of adultery, incest, and the like, but also equally um, the, the Lord is concerned that they're taking advantage of their uh, fellow neighbors and brothers, and going to the, to the part of they're just self-centered, and it's all about me, and if I can make something off you, I will. And uh, I see this equally as disturbing to the Lord as we get into this. Behold, therefore, I beat my fist at the dishonest profit which you have made and at the bloodshed which, uh, which has been in your midst. Can your heart endure, or can your hands remain strong in the days when I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. And he's again laying out. I will scatter you among the nations, disperse you throughout the countries, and remove your filthiness completely from you, and remove your filthiness completely from you. You shall... Uh, defile yourself in the sight of the nations, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, I know I'm a broken record on this, but again, 52 times, or maybe it's 54, this is a reoccurring phrase in the book of Ezekiel, also son of man, it's referred to. But uh, he's just laying uh, these verses out, uh, the list of sins of, of Jerusalem, and just how bad they had gotten. What I've left it out that we talked about last week is their offering of their even their children to be offered up as an offering on the high places. Now in 17 uh, through 23, um, the Lord is, again, the illustrations that the Lord is using here through Ezekiel, 17 through 23, compares the, the melting down of a metal. Um, he says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, so this is a different prophecy. Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. They are all bronze, tin, iron, and lead. In the midst of a fiery furnace, they have become dross from silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have all become dross, therefore behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem. As men gather silver, bronze, iron, lead, and tin into the midst of a furnace to blow fire on it, to melt it, so I will gather you in my anger and my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. Uh, Yes, I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in the midst as silver is melted in the midst of a furnace. So shall you be melted in its midst. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury on you. So in these verses here, the idea is, um, that reminds me of First uh, Peter 1, 1, 7. Oh, what the heck, let's do a little side track. Let's turn over to First Peter. Make a practical application for you and I about trials, the necessity for trials, the necessity to be tested as believers. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 3. Blessed 
Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. How comforting these scriptures must be uh, to Dottie right now, and Ken and Pam, and um, losing it's one thing losing a loved one when it's expected. It's one thing when you wake up one day and they're just not there anymore. And um, this, we have this hope that doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. And it, it, just in talking to Dottie, you know, she was commenting about his new body and no more tremors. And, um, and I said, well, I'm jealous. <laughs> Verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, in this you greatly rejoice. Of course we rejoice. We got the hope of heaven. My name's written in the book of life. When the disciples returned after casting out demons, they were all jacked up and fired up. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. And the Lord said, don't get so excited about that. I actually saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But rejoice in this, that your name is in the book of life, and you're going to have eternal life. Be happy about that. It's the eternal perspective um, that we have, and it's, it's the blessed hope that we have, that we continually need to be reminded of, good place for an amen here, because of the world we live in. It demands so much of our time. It wants to conform us. We're told not to be conformed to this world but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Well, how do you do that? Gang, this is the only way I know of. Get to know God's perspective and uh, allow his spirit to conform you, not to the world, but to transform you into his way of thinking. He said, let this mind be in you, which is also in our Lord. And his mind was always on the kingdom. And when asked point out, are you a king? Yeah, I'm a king but my kingdom isn't of this world. Lucifer, the devil, is the god of this world. And that's why we're told, love not the world, neither the things that are in this world. If, if, if you do love the world, he says, then the love of the Father is not in you. And um, so we, we have this great hope, but then it says, though now for a little while, just a little while, I mean, when you have the span of eternity, an infinite line that goes for all eternity, now you got this little sliver, that long, dash. This is when you were born. I was born in 1951. And uh, I hope the rapture happens in 2017. So the dash would be, <laughs> as a prayer request, by the way, 1951, 2017. And what, what, what's, what's my life? Oh, it's about that much. It's a little dash. And that's your life. It's a dash. Though now uh, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here, Peter is using it in a positive form, that trials are necessary um, to bring up the dross, and um, when you're left standing after a trial, you've just learned something in your walk with the Lord. And um, Jesus said, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, many be that will find it, narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few will be that will find that. But he also adds the word, and difficult. Narrow and difficult. I like it when the Lord tells the truth saying this isn't going to be a cakewalk. I never promised you rose, the garden of roses or whatever. You know, he's honest. And Ezekiel had nothing good to say. Nothing. And nobody wanted to hear it. Uh, but here, in the positive form, the trials, as the dross is the things that the Lord wants to burn away, he'll allow you to go through a fire, a fiery trial. And then when he's, you see that the Lord brings you through it on the other side, well, if the Lord did it once, I think he can do it again. 
And he who started a good work in you, he's able to complete it. Another good place for an amen. It's all him. If I was a part of the equation, I'd say this all the time, I'd find a way to blow it. I'd find a way to mess it up. But all he wants me to do is abide in him and offer to him the sacrifice of praise, which is nothing more than, gee, I'm a grateful guy because I know who I am. I know what I've been delivered from. And um, um, praise the Lord. So let's go back and take it in the context in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel in these verses is he's saying judgment is coming and what he's going to do, verse 22, as silver is melted in the midst of a furnace, so shall you be melted. Um, In these uh, verses here, uh, he's basically saying that this, this dross, this is nothing more than the, the sin that is a part of the society. In verse, um, let's pick it up, in verse 23, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, Seder, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Now, I might use this for my text on Sunday because we're going to go in an interesting direction on Sunday. But um, basically, he's saying, um, your prophets are saying everything is fine. We're getting along nicely. And at at the door is Nebuchadnezzar. And now he's addressing their, the conspiracy, interesting word, of her prophets in her midst. And they don't realize that they are destroying the people by not telling them the truth. Now, on Sunday, I went out of my way to explain to you what dominion, dominionism is, kingdom now theology, which is the teaching that uh, and I, I listed the prominent leaders who believe that the church is responsible for evangelizing the world. It's going to get better and better. And then and only then can the Lord return. Well, that's false teaching. That's a false prophet. Because the Bible teaches just the opposite. And there's so many ways you can, you can disarm that, that teaching. Just the one that comes to mind I quoted on Sunday. Jesus is talking about his second coming. And he says, then there will be great tribulation, such as never been nor will ever be again. And unless those days are shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, they will be. In other words, Jesus is saying, unless I directly intervene in human history, the earth isn't going to be Christianized. It's going to become so uh, dangerous of destroying every man, woman, and child that the Lord entered intercedes, it's like the Calvary coming over the hill just at the last minute, and you're telling me that um, that we're living in the kingdom age right now? If we're living in the kingdom age right now, I am very disappointed, extremely disappointed. No, the Bible says just the opposite. Perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, disobedient, slanders, unthankful, unholy, disobedient to parents, and um, we just see, I can look out at the world and go, yeah, I can see that. That makes sense. Makes more sense than uh, those that are holding to this um, name it and claim it prosperity teaching that goes along with dominionism. So Ezekiel had them then. One of the things I want to point out, and where you need not to be discouraged, you guys need to realize you're going to be in the minority. And um, the church has learned how to cater to people to, to get them in. And it is, as the Bible predicted, they will gravitate towards teachers, uh, not sound doctrine. Uh, the term the Bible uses is having itching ears. In other words, telling you what you want to hear. So here we are in a Wednesday night Bible study, and all I'm talking about is one guy taking a stand and saying it's not going to happen. All doom and gloom. Uh, but it's true, and that's the thing. And 
actually warns where the Lord specifically talks in verse 25 about the false teachers like roaring lions. Well, what does a roaring lion do? Uh, Peter says, look out for the roaring lions. Um, a matter of fact, uh, Paul warns about the church about wolves and sheep clothing in Acts chapter 20. And we have them in the church today. And they're preaching another gospel. And um, instead of sounding a, an alarm like, behold, the bridegroom really is coming and he's at the door, um, the attitude that the Lord warns us against is be careful of those people who say the Lord delays his coming. And if you hold to kingdom now theology or dominionism, basically that's what you're saying. The Lord can't come right now because the world isn't evangelized. Is another way that I understand the Lord's delaying his coming. When we're told just the opposite, the, the five wise virgin, virgins um, in Matthew 25, they were the ones that were watching. They were the ones that were aware. And, um, and when the Lord came, they were ready. Some were ready, some weren't. Verse 26. Her priests have violated my laws and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the clean and the unclean. What is good and what is bad? What is right and what is wrong? What is black and what is white? And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. And again, I, I think these are the verses that uh, we'll spend more, a little bit more time on Sunday. Her princes in the midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed to destroy the people to get dishonest gain. In other words, into it for the, for the take. And I, I think of the prosperity teachers that are out there today. Uh, her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and uh, divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord God has not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppress a stranger. Again, he's, he's seeing, this is being repeated about how you take advantage of your fellow man rather than, you know, in the New Testament it says, if you, if you have it within your means to help somebody that needs help and you don't do it, well, how does the love of Christ dwell in you? I have a confession to make at this time. I wasn't planning on doing it, but when you're in Arizona, there's a lot of people that come from all over the country because Phoenix is a very nice place to stay warm when it's <laughs> three degrees outside here. And so they don't, they don't have, it's just a place to survive for the warmth. And on almost every corner, every time you get off the highway, there's a guy and, and every time I look at this person, I'd say to myself, I wonder what his story is. What brought him to this? How did he get there? And um, I had that scripture going around in my head. And then I thought, and then the other scripture was, well, the poor you have with you always. So here I, I got this war going on inside of me. I can't help them all, Lord, but maybe I could have helped one. I did help one once. There was this gal going into... Um, a grocery store, she had her son there. And that was more than I could handle. She wanted money. And I said, look, I'm not gonna give you money, but come on, let's go shopping. And uh, whatever you want shopping, I'll buy it for you. So there, I just lost some treasure in heaven by telling you that story. <laughs> but I wasn't gonna, gonna give her money. You know, some guys are holding up sides, need beer money. <laughs> Sorry, not today, buddy. <laughs> Uh, but there's so many, and um, you just can't go down any street without seeing the shopping carts and, and um, knowing that they're going to be sleeping out on the streets. At least they won't freeze. But, um, you know, the Bible talks about in Revelation, um, no more middle class. They'll be the very, very poor, and they'll be the very, very rich. Where do you leave off? Verse 27? Let's pick it up in verse 28. 
Oh, we read verse 29. They've oppressed the poor and the stranger. Verse 30 is interesting to me. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. The word says that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro over the whole earth, uh, looking for a man that he can show himself strong on his behalf. It's not ability gang. It's are you available? Are you available? Are you willing to say, here I am, Lord? I don't, I don't have many talents, but what I got I give to you. And he's looking for somebody who will do that. I believe Noah was a man who stood in the gap. I believe Abraham was a man who stood in the gap. And of course, the real mediator who stands in the gap is none other in Hebrews, our high priest, the only mediator between God and man. He stands in the gap for us. But here, the Lord is looking for somebody, and this is given uh, to Ezekiel, but the Lord is looking for somebody besides Ezekiel, and he says, I found none. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. So in, in chapter um, 22, uh, we have, again, laying out what's about to take place. Chapter 23, I'm going to put something up on the screen that I find interesting. I have not done enough research to give it a complete thumbs up, but I do see similarities. And what you're looking at is um, the book of Revelation compared with the book of Ezekiel and certain um, visions um, that correlate directly with, it, with Ezekiel. And I do believe there is some connections here. Uh, if you go down to the great harlot and the cup of wrath, you'll see Ezekiel 23 um, both in chapter 16 and 23, and then the great harlot. Well, the two sisters that we have in reference here, let me just read the first four verses, and I'll come back and give you a little heads up on who, who the Lord is talking about here. Basically, it revolves around the whole chapter. Um, physical, sexual, immorality, combined with spiritual fornication and idolatry. Parable of the two sisters. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, there were two women, the daughters of one mother. They committed harlotry in Egypt. They committed harlotry in their youth. Their breasts were there uh, embraced. Their virgin bosom was there pressed. Their names, Ohola, the elder, and Ohola Ba, her sister, they were mine, and they bore sons and daughters. As for their name, Samaria is Ohala, and Jerusalem is Olaba. So we have the definition here in this chapter. Um, he gives this parable about these two sisters. And again, Samaria, the north, is Ahala. Um, the northern kingdom of Israel, and the southern one, Jerusalem and Judah, is Ahalabah. The meaning of Ahalabah, Jerusalem and Judah, is my tent is in her. Who is saying this? God is. My tent is in her. In other words, in the southern kingdom, in Jerusalem, was the wonderful temple of Solomon. It was patterned after the tabernacle, wilderness temple and it was the place where the people approached God and this is where the Lord ordained um, the high priest where the sacrifices were made they could only be made by uh, the Levites they were the priestly tribe now the other one Ahola means her own tent the northern kingdom rebelled and again on Sunday I showed you the, the list of the 19 
ones, the kings from the northern 10 tribes, none good. And then I showed you the ones from Judah, there were 20 and only eight of them were good. But the northern one, her name means her own tent. Now the northern kingdom rebelled and separated from the southern part of Israel. King Jeroboam put up two golden calves, one in Bethel, one in Samaria, and tried to keep the people from going south to worship in Jerusalem. So he is now using a parable to illustrate that you are mine. And, um, and yet, verse five, Ahola played the harlot even though she was mine, worshiped the pagan gods. She lusted for her lovers, the neighboring Assyrians, uh, who were clothed in purple, uh, captains and rulers, all of them desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. Thus she committed her harlotry with them, all of them choice men of Assyria, and with all uh, from whom she lusted, with all their idols she defiled herself. Uh, she, was, she has never given up her harlotry brought from Egypt, for in her youth they had lain with her, pressed her virgin a bosom, and poured out their immorality upon her. Therefore I have delivered her into the hand of her lovers, into the hands of the Assyrians, whom she lusted. The ten northern tribes fell, I believe it was 710 B.C., to the Assyrians. And they came and interbred with some of them. And um, they were half Israeli and half Assyrians, and they became what we know in the New Testament time as the Samaritans. That's how a Samaritan became a Samaritan. They were half-breeds. And that's why when Jesus said, we have to go to Samaria, I have an appointment with a a Samaritan gal there. And um, just for what it's worth, even though they were despised in Israel, whenever Jesus talked about a Samaritan, it was always in the affirmative, right? Always in the positive. The good Samaritan. The woman at the well was a Samaritan. She gets saved. She's the one uh, that, um, anyway, that's where they, they came from. Um, verse 10, they uncovered her nakedness, took away her sons and daughters. They slew her with a sword. She became a byword among women, for they had executed judgment on her. Now, although her sister, Alohaba, saw this, she became even more corrupt in her um, love that she and her harlotry more corrupt than her sister's harlotry. Now what the Lord was expecting here is why didn't you guys learn your lesson from what happened to the kings in the north? And he says, you not only haven't learned your lesson, but you're actually worse than they are. She lusted for her neighbors, the Assyrians, captains and rulers, clothed most uh, gorgeously, horsemen riding on horses and all of them desiring, desirable young men. Then I saw that she was defiled. Both took the same way, but she increased her harlotry. She looked at men portrayed on the wall, images of the Chaldeans um, portrayed and vermilion, girded and bowed um, around their waist, flowing turbans on their heads, all of them looking like captains in the manner of the Babylonians of, of Chaldea, the land of their nativity. As soon as they saw them, she lusted for them, and sent messengers to them, to Chaldea. Uh, then the Babylonians came to her, Uh, into the bed of love, and they defiled her with their immorality. And she was defiled by them and alienated herself from them. She revealed her harlotry, uncovered her nakedness. Then I alienated myself from her as I alienated myself from her sister. And because of sin, the, the Lord says, your sin has separated me from you. And if you turn from your sin, then there could be the restoration. Yet she multiplied her harlotry in calling to remembrance the days of her youth when she had played the harlot in the land of Egypt. 
for she lusted for her paramours, who, whose flesh is like the flesh of donkeys and whose issue is like the issue of horses. Thus you call to remembrance the lewdness of your youth when the Egyptians uh, pressed your bosom because of your youthful breast. Therefore, O Holabah, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will stir up your lovers against you uh, from whom you have alienated yourself, and I will bring them against you from every side. Uh, the Babylonians, all the Chaldeans, uh, Picad, Shoah, Koah, all the Assyrians with them, all of their desirable young men, governors and rulers, captors and men of renown, all of them riding on horses. And they shall come against you with chariots and wagons and war horses, with horses, with hordes of people. And they shall array against you bucklers, shields, and helmets all around. And I will delegate judgment to them, and they shall judge you according to their judgments. I will set my jealousy against you, and they shall deal um, furiously with you, and they shall remove your nose and your ears. And this is what the Assyrians were known for. And um, to give you an idea, what ISIS did with the beheading, this was the cruelty that was known of the Assyrians, of putting hooks in your nose, um, decapitating part of you. And um, what the Lord is saying here, they shall remove your nose and your ears. This is something they actually did. And they were greatly feared because of that. Your remnant will fall by the sword. They shall take your sons and your daughters and your remnant will be devoured by fire. And they will also strip you of your clothes and take away your beautiful jewelry. Thus I will make you cease your lewdness and your harlotry. It's the only way to get rid of it. It had to go. They weren't dealing with it. And um, sometimes people struggle. Say you have a God of love. Well, why did he allow these atrocities to take place? Well, it it was leaven that had leavened the whole nation. First to her sister in the north and then Judah in the south. And it had to be completely wiped out in the same way that a plague has to be completely wiped out or it'll continue to spread that, that leaven. And so <clears throat> there's going to be a complete removal and destruction that is of absolute necessity in order for this to be taken care of. Verse 27, Thus I will make you cease your lewdness and your harlotry brought from the land of Egypt so that you will not lift your eyes to them nor remember Egypt any more. For thus says the Lord God, surely I will deliver you into the hand of those whom you hate into the hand of those of whom you alienated yourself. They will deal hatefully with you, take away all of you who have worked for and leave you naked and bare and the nakedness of your harlotry will be uncovered, both your lewdness and your harlotry. I will do these things to you because you have gone as a harlot after the Gentiles because you have become defiled by their idols. And remember, he called Israel his wife. And so what we have here is a picture. Obviously, the Bible says our God is a jealous God. And they've gone and left uh, their first love, and gone after the pagan gods, and actually, be, actually became worse. You have walked. You have walked in the ways of your sister. That's a reference to the northern ten tribes. Therefore, I will put her cup in your hand. Thus says the Lord God: You shall drink of your sister's cup, uh, the deep and wide one. You shall be laughed to scorn, held in derision. It contains much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, the cup of horror and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria. You shall drink and drain it. You shall break its uh, shards and tear at your own breasts, for I have spoken, says the Lord. Verse 35, therefore thus says the Lord God, 
because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, therefore uh, you shall bear the penalty of your lewdness and your harlotry. And the Lord also said to me, Son of man, will you judge Aholah and Aholabah? Then declare to them their abominations. Again, repeating over and over again their transgressions. But this is coming right as the hammer is about to fall. And I, now just a little teaser for Sundays. I've seen some very, very interesting connections between final words and then um, imminent judgment that follows. And a lot of what I see happening in our country today, right before the shoe drops, we're watching the same thing happen in our own country. Stuff that would be unthinkable um, even 10 years ago. That's for Sunday. Uh, They have committed adultery. Blood is on their hands. They have committed adultery with their idols and even sacrificed, here it is, their sons whom they bore to me, passing them through the fire to, to devour them. Moreover, they have done this to me. They have defiled my sanctuary on the same day and profaned my Sabbath. For after they had slain their children for their idols, on the same day they came into my sanctuary to profane it, to profane it. and indeed thus they have done this in the midst of my house. Furthermore, you sent for men to come from afar to whom a messenger was sent and there they came and you washed yourself for them you painted your eyes adorned yourself with ornaments you sat on a stately couch with a table prepared before it on which you had set my incense and my oil the sound of carefree multitude was her the Sabians were brought from the wilderness and the men of the common sort who wore bracelets on their wrists and, and beautiful crowns on their heads. And then I said concerning her who had grown old in adulteries, will they commit harlotry with her now and she with them? Yet they went into her as men go into a woman who plays a harlot and thus went into Ahola and Aholabah, the lewd woman. But righteous men will judge them after the manner of, of adulteresses and the manner of women who shed blood because they are adulteresses and the blood is on their hand. For thus says the Lord God, bring up an assembly against them, bring them up to trouble and plunder. The assembly shall stone them with the stone and execute with the sword. Now the penalty in the law In the Old Testament, in John chapter 8, when the woman was caught in the act of adultery, they brought her to Jesus. And they said, the scripture says she's got to be stoned. But what do you say? And they cared less for the woman. Um, They wanted to know how Jesus was going to get out of this one. Because he said, don't think I've come to destroy the law. I haven't. I've come to fulfill it. And yet, to keep the law, she was caught in the act of adultery. I have two questions at this point. How did they know where she was? And in the Old Testament, it says, the guy's got to be there too. And uh, so they, they bring her, and the Lord, putting these guys in their place, says, fine. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Yeah, that's what the law calls for. But as long as we're talking about sin here, let's talk about you guys. And that's when he stooped down and began to write in the sand. And um, all it tells us, whatever the Lord was writing in the sand, it says from the oldest to the youngest, they all started leaving and going home. And um, one by one by one by one, they, they remembered that they had to pick up a quart of milk for their wife or whatever and said, oh, got to go home right now. And there was none left when all was said and done. And uh, the Lord stoops down and goes, well, where did all those guys go anyway? Where, where, where are your accusers? And she said, none here. What was the next word she said? 
She called him Lord. Somewhere during this process, who is this who's sticking up for me? Who is this who's standing up for me? Well, I've heard of Jesus. And um, maybe this is her first time meeting him face to face, but, but through this process, I think it's like the thief on the cross. He was a thief. And uh, he, he came right and said, we shouldn't be yelling at the guy in the middle because we're, we're guilty of our crimes. But this guy's done nothing wrong. And then he called him Lord. He says, Lord, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? Well, I think that guy got saved. I call that a deathbed conversion. And um, uh, just a word of encouragement. If you know people that are on that place, don't you tell them the story about the thief on the cross because their thinking is, look, I've been a sinner my entire life. Now you're, you're expecting me to believe as I get ready to check out that God's going to have mercy on me when I've lived my whole life as a non-believer and as a heathen and as a sinner. And you can look at that person and say, absolutely yes. And then you tell them the story about the thief on the cross. No good works. Never said the sinner's prayer. Never got baptized. Nothing going for him except, Lord, Lord, would you remember me? He says, yeah, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And someday you're going to meet that guy. And First um, Corinthians 3 says that um, there will be some that will be saved through the fire that have absolutely no good works. And this is where we have an opportunity to invest in things that are eternal because there is going to be a payday. Uh, but the guy on the cross, well, I'm sure he's just happy to be in heaven. Amen? Instead of where the other guy went. He's not going to have any rewards, so he had a wasted life. Waylon Jennings or Johnny Cash both sing the song, Lord Help Me Jesus. And the chorus goes, I've, Lord Help Me Jesus, I've Wasted It So. The acknowledgement that he'd only lived for himself. But yet, he's, he got saved, both Waylon Jennings and and um, Johnny Cash, he, when Johnny did, does his, um, in his movie that is about his life, he said he felt the song was written just for him because for a good portion of his life he lived just for himself. And um, just a, a word of an, an encouragement um, that we have been given the privilege to, as Jesus said, you, you either gather or you scatter. And uh, that's your life. In your life, you're either going to be influencing people, and that's where your head's at, and that's where you're thinking. How can I influence? How can I be a light? Either you're gathering into the kingdom, or by your lifestyle, you're saying live for yourself, do your own thing. Either you gather or you scatter. There's no neutral ground, by the way. It's one or the other. Then he say either hot or cold? Looks warm stuff. I want to spew out of my mouth because it's disgusting. And again, some of the stuff that's on Christian TV, it makes me want to vomit. It really, the lukewarm stuff, can't, can't tolerate it. Where did I leave off? <laughs> Verse 48, thus I will cause lewdness to cease from the land that all women might be taught not to practice your lewdness. They shall repay you for your lewdness and you shall pay for your idolatrous sin, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. How am I doing? <laughs> Not good. Okay, so what else is new? I wanted to go to Revelation. Revelation 17 and 18 for extra credit. Um, the comparison of the, the church after the rapture is called a harlot. And, a, and um, the similarities that are, that are there. But let's see if we can crack out 24 before we call it a night. <clears throat> Chapter 24, uh, this is the first time that Ezekiel has dated his message. At this very moment, Nebuchadnezzar was breaking through the walls of Jerusalem. Let's read the first couple of verses. It's dated. Again, in the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, write down the name of this day, this very day, the king of Babylon's started his siege against Jerusalem this very day. And now it's here. 
all the warnings, everything we've been leading up to, everything the false prophet said is all coming to pass. Just like the day is going to come and we're going to be out of here and the warning of the rapture and trying to tell people to get right with the Lord. Um, maybe they enjoy listening to the false prophets, but God's word will remain true. And when we're out of here, they're gonna, there's going to be this reality, this realization. It was all true. Everything that um, they said about the great tribulation and the rapture of the church, it's all true. And the day is coming, and here it is in chapter 24. This very day, mark it down. And utter a parable to the rebellious house and say to them, thus says the Lord God. Put on a pot, set it on, and also pour water into it. Gather pieces of meat in it, every good piece, the thigh and the shoulder. Fill it with choice cuts, take the choice of the flock and pile uh, fuel bones under it, make it boil well, and let the cut simmer in it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, woe to the bloody city, to the pot whose scum is in it, and whose scum is not gone from it. Bring it out piece by piece on which no lot has fallen, for her blood is in her midst. She is set on the top of a rock. She did not pour it on the ground to cover it with dust, that it may raise up fury and take vengeance. I have set her blood on a rock that it may not be uncovered. Um, This verse six here, Jerusalem is called the bloody city. There is a pot and there's scum on the pot. Pretty gross. The pot is the city of Jerusalem. The citizens are that pot. Their sin is the scum that is on that pot. Again, it's a picture that Ezekiel is, is painting for them. And now he's saying it's too late because they're at the door. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city. I too will make the prey great. Heap on the wood, kindle the fire, cook the meat well, mix in the spices, and let the cuts be burned up. Then set the pot empty on the coals that it may become hot and its bronze may burn, that its filthiness may be melted in it, that its scum may be consumed, that she wearied herself with lies and great, and her great scum has um, not gone from her. Let her scum be in the fire. In your lewdness and filthiness because I have purged you and and you were purged. You will not be purged of your filthiness anymore till I have caused my fury to rest upon you. I, the Lord, have spoken it. I shall come to pass, and I will do it. I will not hold back, nor will I spare, nor will I relent. According to your ways, according to your deeds, they will judge you, says the Lord God. Now, to dramatize what's about to take place, the last thing we'll read tonight is the the death of Ezekiel's um, wife. Apparently, uh, Ezekiel had married a, a lovely Israeli girl. They loved each other, both, uh, but down in their captivity, somehow she became sick and died. I, I imagine it was a heartbreak uh, to Ezekiel, but again, he must act out a part. Now remember, What's about to happen is traumatic. And in this case, it's like losing um, your wife, and that's, that's how this chapter ends. But he's told he can't mourn over this incident. The word of the Lord also came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. Yet you shall not neither mourn nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh in silence, make no mourning for the, for the dead. Bind your turban on your head and, and put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips and do not eat man's bread of sorrow. So I spoke to the people in the morning and at evening my wife died. And the next morning I did as I was commanded. And the people said to me, will you not tell us? What these things signify to us? Okay, you're acting something out again, Ezekiel. What is it this time? 
Then I answered them, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Speak to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I will profane my sanctuary, your arrogant boast, the desire of your eyes. And this would have been to them everything. The temple, Solomon's temple, was their glory. Uh, The delights of your soul and your sons and your daughters whom you left behind you shall fall by the sword. And And you shall do as I have done. You shall not uncover your lips nor eat man's bread of sorrow. Your turbans shall be on your heads and your sandals are on your feet. You shall neither mourn nor weep, but you shall pine away in your iniquities and mourn with one another. Thus, Ezekiel is assigned to you according to all that has been done, you shall do. And when this comes, when it actually happens, then you're going to know basically that I am the Lord, or basically everything that I told Ezekiel to say to you. He kept saying the same thing over and over and over again in so many different ways with signs and parables and symbols. And you, son of man, will it not be in the day when I take from them their stronghold, their joy and their glory, the desire of their eyes on that which they have set their minds, their sons and their daughters? On that day, one who escapes will come to you and let you hear it in your ears. On that day, your mouth will be open to him who has escaped, You shall speak and no longer be mute, and this will be a sign to them, and then they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, there's last couple of verses here. At that very moment, as we finish this up, at that very moment when this was happening, Jerusalem was being destroyed, as Ezekiel is giving chapter 24. And later on, uh, word came to the captive the captives about its destruction. And it came to pass in the twelfth year of our captivity, the tenth month and the fifteenth day of the month, that one had escaped out of Jerusalem and came unto me, saying, The city is smitten. This is in Ezekiel 33, which will be in a couple of weeks, 21. So we actually have a captive coming. And into the camp came these stragglers. They must have looked terrible, they said, We've escaped from the city. The false prophets are wrong. The city burned. The temple has been leveled. Their heart and soul of existence, even though it was total hypocrisy in what they were doing. And the city is in debris and ashes. Um, And then this last verse 27. Then they shall know that I am Lord. Jerusalem was God's city. Temple was his house. They were God's witnesses to the world. And when the people of Israel failed, God said, I will destroy even my own witness on the earth. I want you to know the city is destroyed. The rest of your people are being brought into captivity. But there's no weeping. No use howling to me now. I've done this and I'm responsible for it. Even to the destruction of the temple itself. Well, this has been a prophecy that's been leading up to this point, and um, it has come to pass. And as surely as the the similarities between um, this and what the Lord had to say to his generation right before destruction come, the parallels to me are uncanny. And I hope it's tweaked your interest just a little bit for Sunday to find some interesting things I've never seen for before between these exact chapters and some of the last words that Jesus said to the religious leaders before Jerusalem fell. Amen? I went five minutes past my extra five minutes time. We better stand and pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, one thing we're learning as we study chapter by chapter and verse by verse is very much of this is very, very serious. When you are a jealous God who becomes jealous when we go whoring after other gods in other ways and join ourselves to them. 
We've learned that there's a line that can be crossed where you're patient, and then you say enough. And um, that what you said would come to pass did come to pass. But it wasn't without much warning ahead of time. Lord, might we number our days, might we see the lateness of the hour, and um, help us, Lord, just be found in that place of being on that side that gathers rather than scatters. Help us never give the indication that we're in love in this world, but want to acknowledge as the Old Testament saints in the book of Hebrews said that we're simply pilgrims and strangers. We're just passing through. This world really is not our home. And um, everything you said about the last days is coming to pass. So thank you for your word tonight. And um, bless your people as they go out this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.